Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, another food interview to close out the week as we get the lowdown on Cowhouse. Plus the fallout from Mark Shifley's hit on Jake Evans in the Jets game one loss to Montreal. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Welcome back to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Let's get right to it here. It's the hot button topic in the NHL right now, and it's brought a dark cloud over the Jets' 5-3 loss in Game 1 to the Montreal Canadiens, Mark Shifley given a match penalty for charging and a game misconduct for his hit on Jake Evans. Evans was taken off the ice on a stretcher. Obviously, positive vibes and, and best wishes out to him and his family. I know Evans has a history of concussions dating back to junior, so hopefully he's able to come back from this and, and just be healthy at some point here in the near future. Um, But I wanted to wait a little bit after the loss to record this because obviously everybody here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba, myself included, was super reactionary to the play, super hot. Jets fans in particular, obviously going to be, you know, somewhat protective of Mark Shifley on that play. But I thought Kevin Bieksa said it best on the Sportsnet panel after the game. And, and this is a guy, keep in mind, too, who played on the edge his entire career and, you know, probably had a suspension-worthy hit or two as well. But Bieksa said the play was indefensible. And I have to agree with him. I, I think it was the perfect word choice. I just don't think you can defend what Mark Shafley did on that hit. And unfortunately, it's going to cost him some games. And it may, unfortunately, end up tilting the series in Montreal's favor. It wasn't a headshot. I didn't think Shafley left his feet for the hit. But to me, that's neither here nor there. It was still a cheap shot, a clear charging major, and I think a play that's worthy of severe discipline. So there's a number of angles to the incident that we're going to get to here. What I think stands out to me the most is that there was absolutely no play on the puck from Shifley on that goal. And you would think that's the primary decision on that play, right? You know, down by one, the Jets still have a chance to get back and tie it. You want to prevent that goal from happening. And I think Mark Scheifele actually stops the empty netter if he waves his stick towards Jake Evans' stick on that play. Like, he's really close. It was a great effort to skate back into the play, actually. And I think that if he makes a play on the puck, he he probably, first and foremost, gets the puck off his stick and prevents the goal. But I think you could also excuse 
what ends up happening there, if Shifley even attempts to play the puck with his stick, and then the collision happens, right? Like, at that point, it would become almost an unfortunate result. And I don't think there would be a suspension in that case. But, I mean, kind of a moot point because that's not what we saw and that's not what ended up happening. So that, that to me, was, you know, the first in a, a list of damning indictments and, and why Mark Shifley is probably going to face some, some serious discipline from the Department of Player Safety there is that he just doesn't make an attempt to play the puck there. I also thought, too, the highlight package, the clip package that Sportsnet showed in the events leading up to the hit was was pretty enlightening and, you know, again, damning for Mark Shifley because it was evident he was getting extremely frustrated in the third period there from a number of different incidents. And, you know, I, I don't blame him, too, either for getting upset because there was the one in particular where Ben Sherratt just, you know, flat out tackles him to the ground and no call for Ben Sherratt on the play there. It just, it painted the picture of a guy ultimately taking his frustration out on a defensive player in a tough situation as well. One thing too that I want to mention because I got a lot of replies on Twitter from this, but it was about the notion that because Mark Shifley stopped striding at around, somewhere around the Jets' blue line, that that basically negates the fact that it could be called a charging penalty because he doesn't take strides directly leading into the hit. The, and that's true. That's what happened. The problem is, though, that that's not how charging is called by the rulebook, though. Charging also takes into account an excessive amount of distance covered before the hit. And, it, I mean, it's plain to see Shifley's hauling ass from the other end of the ice. So, I mean, that is an excessive amount of distance. Charging certainly still applies in this instance. And that's why the hit was ultimately so devastating on, J- on Jake Evans. Because Mark Shifley, you know, while gliding into the hit skated super super hard for about 100 plus feet before that now I was surprised but also not surprised by the reaction that that I got at least from people I talked to on Twitter on social media in the Winnipeg area you know there was a lot of a lot of attempts at defending the hit that you know Mark Shifley is is maybe going to get a game or the fact that you know it's hockey it's a collision sport you're allowed to hit somebody as they're making an attempt to to score on your net. And look, I I get, I, I understand from a fan's perspective wanting to stick up for your player and also understanding too that, you know, you don't want to lose arguably your, your most impactful offensive piece. But I'm sorry, just look at the response from everybody else outside of Winnipeg. I, I don't think it's a conspiracy and anybody out to screw the Jets, but it's just from an unbiased perspective, the hit was dangerous, it was reckless, it was done to a defensive player, and it caused it, it caused major, major harm. And I just think what we saw was a clear-cut definition of a suspendable hit on a, on a dangerous and reckless play. Now, the most impactful thing moving forward from the on-ice perspective here is, I mean, how long Mark Shifley is going to be out for. I thought it was really interesting how Elliot Freeman brought up that, you know, if you look at the other charging suspensions in recent history, none of them really compared to what we saw last night. Like there's just, and I, you know, you kind of agree. I don't know if we've ever seen really a hit like that before. If if there has, you know, feel free to, to bring it to my memory, but I just don't know how many times we've seen a major collision like that on a player trying to score directly into the empty net. 
So this is truly unprecedented territory for the NHL, and it, it makes predicting what's going to happen really, really difficult. Like, I don't, I don't really know. We don't know what the Department of Player Safety is going to do on a normal day, let alone an instance where there's not really a whole lot of history and, and information to draw back on here. I tweeted out shortly after the game that I don't think we see Mark Scheifele again this series. You know, my, my initial thought at least was that that's done, suspension. He's going to just, you know, there's not even a, a game amount. He's just going to be suspended for the remainder of the series against Montreal. In all honesty, that's how I would handle this. I mean, I've always leaned towards the harsh discipline side of things as a deterrent for illegal hits. So, you know, maybe I'm looking at this through a, a harsher lens. A number of you mentioned Ryan Reeves only getting two games, you know, for the roughing, you know, going after Grubauer after the whistle, and then Ryan Graves as well. Despite him having prior history, he only gets two games. Tom Wilson, you know, at the end of the regular season, getting no games despite having all the history. So it is, I'll, I mean, that's, that's a fair point. It is tough to try and pinpoint what exactly the NHL is going to do in these scenarios. Mark Scheifele obviously is a first-time offender, no prior history. So, I mean, that is true that that usually leads to a lighter sentence. I would still say, though, the absolute minimum we see is a two-game suspension for Mark Scheifele, even with no history. I mean, the hit and the result was just, it was too devastating that I can't imagine. There's no way he gets off Scott free. I don't think even a single game is, is something that's in the cards at all for Winnipeg here. I guess if I had to pick a number, if I had to predict what's going to happen, I'd probably walk back what I said about, you know, a series-long suspension. I don't think the NHL is going to do that. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised either if that does happen, though. But I think we see either three or four games. That's what I expect out of this one. And, you know, for the Jets' sake, Mark Scheifele returns sometime either Game 6 or Game 7. I think that's ultimately... What the Department of Player Safety is going to do because they've leaned towards, you know, lighter suspensions on dangerous plays. I mean, it is a great example. Ryan Reeves only getting two games, albeit for a completely different incident. With his history, you would think that would have been an automatic, you know, four, five, six gamer. But he gets way less than that. So maybe it's it's fair to say that we see a, a similar path unfold for Mark Shifley here. Now, two other things quick about the Shifley hit and, and the fallout around it that I want to get to. Before moving on to the game and what actually happened, as well as a really, really great interview with Cowhouse to bring your way later on. First, Montreal's Joel Edmondson after the game. Don't know if you caught it or not, but to paraphrase a little bit, he said about Mark Shifley and the hit, quote, if he gets back into the series, we're going to make his life miserable. I hate crap like that. that. That is just garbage to me. And I think these comments are worthy of discipline as well. It's just, like it's it's totally unnecessary. Adds fuel to the fire. I mean, it it makes things really really dangerous, and it just creates a scenario that I don't really want to see heading into a game where there's you know the conversation about head hunting and and targeting and things like that. I mean, Paul Maurice himself said a few weeks ago, you put a name on the board nowadays and you get sued. So I I, I kind of lean towards Paul Maurice's line of thinking here. I just think what Evanson said was incredibly dumb and, and should be looked at as well by the NHL. 
Now, the only, I guess, good part of the entire play, the, the, the lone positive that we saw, we should give props to Nick Ehlers. Having the awareness to protect Evans from the scrum, shielding everyone from potentially falling and, and causing further harm to, to Jake Evans. Pure class from Ehlers, wouldn't expect anything else. So, you know, in a, in a really ugly incident overall, at least there was some, some good work from the Winnipeg Jets side and, and Nick Ehlers doing his job to make sure... There was some respect for the opposition and, and somebody on the other team. So great job by Nick Ehlers there. I don't think any of us in Winnipeg are surprised to see Nick Ehlers doing something really classy and, and really good like that. Now, it's easy to forget that there was a game that actually happened. So we will break down the rest of the action from the game one loss for the Jets to the Montreal Canadian in just a second here. But we have to mention a quick shout out to our sponsors out at DraftKings. DraftKings free-to-play pools are underway right now in the NBA playoffs. Super easy to enter, and it's free as well. A chance to win $10,000 every single day in total prizes. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $10,000 in total prizes every day of the postseason. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN. For a limited time only, at DraftKings, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Back to the game. To me, the opener, not even to me, to everybody, the opener was lost in the first period by the Jets, no doubt about it. Rust certainly beat out Rest on this night, and Montreal jumped all over Winnipeg early. It was easily the worst period of the playoffs for the Winnipeg Jets. I don't think it was anything special Montreal did either, honestly. The Jets were just sloppy. Uh, I think the extended layoff certainly hurt them because they weren't sharp whatsoever. And an aggressive Habs team took control of some really sloppy mistakes, sloppy play. And the Jets were just behind the eight ball from that the entire evening. Poor positioning, uh, a rough shift from Logan Stanley and, and Tucker Pullman. On top of that, you know, things got off to the worst possible start, too, with Dylan DeMello being lost just one shift into the game. It was just really, really about as poor of a start as you could have imagined for the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, hopefully they're able to come back in this series despite starting things off so poorly. A few other notes from the game. To me, you know, outside of the first period, at least the first period is, you know, explainable, right? Because the Jets did have so much time off. Montreal was still a little sharp, I guess, from playing a couple nights earlier. There, there's an element of understanding to that, at least. And, and the Jets, you know, improved their play as the game wore on, for sure. But the most concerning thing to me was, defensively, that was regular season Winnipeg Jets. That was not first round against the Edmonton Oilers playoff Jets. There had to have been, what, five, six, maybe seven odd man rushes? For the Montreal Canadian in that game, as opposed to, I don't even think they gave up that much all four games against Edmonton in total. It was just insanity how many times the Jets allowed Montreal to get behind them in coverage, and it seemed like it was two on one after two on one. One of those ultimately leads to the Nick Suzuki goal. I actually like the way Derek Forbert played that, by the way. You know, allow Connor Hellebuck to take on the shooter one on one. It was just a great play by Suzuki on that one. Just tremendous patience. And he kind of just, you know, give a stick tap to him on that one. But that, to me, was the most disappointing part of the, the Jets' performance as a whole. Was just making things way, way too easy. And allowing Montreal 
to really burn them on the counterattack. That's going to be the main thing to improve heading into game two is getting back to consistent back pressure, eliminating those turnovers high in the offensive zone. Just really basic elementary mistakes that Winnipeg made in that game. And Montreal, you know, out of a lot of teams out there, are going to make you pay. They're going to take full advantage of, the, full advantage of those mistakes. Having said all that on the negative side, and despite the Winnipeg Jets not playing their best game, they were only one shot away from tying it, right? Like, if that's the worst Winnipeg's going to play, and you're still one goal away from sending it to overtime, that's not the worst spot to be in if you're Winnipeg. And on top of that, too, Carey Price, despite letting in a handful of goals, he stopped a couple of no-doubters, it looked like, as well. I mean, the Mark Shifley one-timer in the first period, you can't really draw that one up any better on the power play. And he makes it just makes a tremendous save. It's unfortunately Carey Price at his best. And there were a handful of other great stops that he made throughout the game as well. You know, if, if Carey Price isn't on top of his game, the Jets might have been tied after that Nick Ehlers pass to Kyle Connor, the, the third goal of the night for Winnipeg, which was an absolute beauty, by the way. So, you know, if you're going to try to take some positives and, and some good feelings out of this one, I think it's the fact that, you know, despite not playing very well, the Jets still showed some decent resiliency and, you know, again, one shot away from potentially sending it to OT and, and we know how dangerous this team has been an extra time during these playoffs. Moving ahead to game two, I mean, it's really, really tough to figure out and, and predict exactly what the Winnipeg Jets lineup is going to look like. I mean, never mind losing Dylan DeMello one shift into the game. Paul Sassy doesn't even suit up for the Jets. Doesn't even take warm-up, which is really concerning considering the Jets were off for almost a week after their last game. So you wonder, is Paul Sassy going to be good to go for game two? And if he is, just... How effective he's going to be on top of that. So we don't know if Sassy's going to be in the lineup. We, I think it's probably fair to say, assume that Mark Shifley isn't going to be in there for game two. And I mean, I would imagine if I had to guess, Dylan DeMello probably doesn't suit back up in time for game two. Let's just go under that assumption as we try to figure out what the Jets are going to look like in the upcoming game. On top of that, Adam Lowry left too. At least he came back, but hopefully... Adam Lowry's ready to go. He's just, we, we all know how tough he's going to be to replace if, if he is to miss any time in the series. Now, the one thing that I think is for certain with the lineup headed into game two without Mark Shifley and with or without Paul Stasny is that I think we see Nikolai Ehlers move up to the top line, whatever that may be, and we see him get well, well over 20 minutes for the first time in a long time. I, I can understand at least wanting to spread out Shifley and Ehlers on different lines if you're Paul Maurice. But with Shifley out, Nick Ehlers is no doubt about it, the most impactful player up front for Winnipeg. And, and you have to go out of your way to make sure he's getting, I think, at least 22 minutes in the upcoming game against Montreal. So I think we see that happen for sure. The other wrinkle that I will not be shocked as well to see, although it would be a surprise to many, is that if Shifley is suspended... With or without Paul Sesny in the lineup, I think we might see Blake Wheeler move into the middle for game two to replace Mark Shifley. And, you know, if Stasny's good to go, you could see Stasny and Dubois stay on the same line. I mean, if Stasny isn't in the game, then it's a no-brainer. Your, your centers are in whatever order, Dubois, Wheeler, Lowry, and Nate Thompson for game two. 
But I'm just not going to be all that surprised that even if Paul says he's good to go in this one, that we see Blake Wheeler shift over inside and Pierre-Luc Dubois grabs the other center spot inside that top six. I mean, we also don't know the injury that Paul Stasny's dealing with. There's the potential, too, that whatever's ailing him might hurt him on the draws as well. So if you can go out of your way to put Paul Stasny in a, I guess, a more convenient position, throwing him out there on the wall is the best way to do that. And that's why I think that, you know, even if he comes back in, that we do see Blake Wheeler play center in this upcoming game for the Jets. As far as the defense core, we saw Morrissey Pullman get thrust right back together. I mean, it's tough, too, with five defensemen at that point to really stick with one specific pairing. But I imagine that's the move here. We see Morrissey Pullman get reunited. That's what Paul Maurice leaned on for the majority of the regular season as well. Pionk and Forbert will stay the same. I mean, the big move is going to be who comes in. And I know a lot of Jets Nation will be excited and, and hopeful that Billy Hainala is the first call there. And I would love to see him get in. I don't think that's what Paul Maurice does, though. I think Jordy Ben is going to be the first guy up to come in and replace Dylan DeMello and, and, and be the sixth defenseman for the Jets. We, we just saw, we saw Paul Maurice in the regular season, you know, not afraid to throw Ben and Stanley out there as the team's third pairing. And I just think with the postseason and a lot on the line here in terms of Winnipeg trying to avoid an 0-2 hole in the series, I think Paul Maurice is going to lean towards that quote-unquote veteran experience and throw him into the mix instead of giving Billy Hainala his first taste of postseason action. And, you know, to be fair as well, even though I am on Team Billy Hainala, he didn't exactly cover himself in glory in his last couple of regular season games for the Jets. So, you know, it, it's not an automatic decision either. You know, Jordy Ben, after his first couple games, once he got his feet wet coming over from Vancouver, he wasn't all that bad. So I actually will expect Jordy Ben to get into the lineup playing over Vili Hainala in Game 2. Either way, the Jets as a whole are going to have to be much, much more solid and much more sound in their overall team play if they want to head to Montreal with the series all square at 2. That'll do it for the hockey side of things on this episode. Skates and plates will now shift over to the plates part of this. We'll try to end things on, you know, a bit of a lighthearted note and send you on a positive note at least into the weekend here after the negativity that we saw in game one against Montreal. This has been a restaurant that you guys have been asking to hear about for a while now. It may have been one of the most requested episodes actually. So let's get right to it here. Super Jack to bring on the chef and owner. Of Cowhouse right here in Winnipeg. His name is Randy Kunaraj. Randy, how's it going today, man? Not bad. How are you? Doing pretty good, thanks. You know, I, I want to mention this quickly before we talk about Cowhouse. In our emails back and forth setting this up, you mentioned that you follow the Jets growing up here in Winnipeg a bit, but you're not a huge hockey guy. But your dad and your uncle are the huge hockey fans in the family. Yeah. How uh, how have they been reacting so far to the playoff run? Are they are they jacked and are they feeling pretty confident about where the Winnipeg Jets are right now? Oh, they're jacked. Yeah, they get jacked. My, my dad, when I was young, he used to bring me to the old stadium. He used to bring me to the hockey games there when I was like 10 or 12, 10 to 12 years old. But yeah, just to just being in the playoffs and, and just, just living in Winnipeg and having the friends that I have and my dad and my uncles, they just they're just so jacked on it right now. That's awesome. That's good to hear. And you know what? People are jacked to hear about Cowhouse, too. It's been one of the most 
requested restaurants to have on the podcast. So really a lot of people are happy that you are gracious with your time to join me today. Let's just get started with how long has Cow House been open for now? Uh, we opened the doors uh, 2016. So I guess it's been about five years or so. Yeah, we opened up on Sherbrooke, uh, 126 Sherbrooke in a small little house. Uh, we lived upstairs uh, in the beginning and then we just got too busy. We had to move into a bigger location. Uh, we moved into the Goodwill Social Club on uh, Portage. Did you have a background in cooking? Like what, what got you into the restaurant biz? I think when I was about 21, 20, 21, I was in university plugging away, uh, spending money on tuition that I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, and I just got a part-time job with Wasabi and I thought they were going to throw me in as a server and then it threw me in the kitchen. So I was like, okay, well, let's, let's see how, where this goes. And then I just loved it from there. I just love the, 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 the speed and the adrenaline rush of the of line cooking. So you were just thrown into the mix and you're like, I guess I'm a cook now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I've I played sports my whole life and it's just another avenue just to be, you know, like be physically active still. Since you've been in sports your whole life, uh, do you have you ever thought about doing any of those cooking competitions or anything like that? Get the competitive juices flowing? Yeah, I did. Actually, when I, I started cooking wasabi and then I went to culinary school, I went to Red River. And one of the one of the things they would ask you is like, what do you want to do when you're done, or what? Why are you going to culinary school? And, and uh, I answered because I wanted to compete. I wanted, I was I grew up or not grew up, but I I was watching like Iron Chef at the time and those kind of those cooking shows. I think the the Gordon Ramsay one was the show again. Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, that was big when I first started cooking. So I was like watching that like religiously. And watching those shows, so and I, I did, a, I did a few. I did gold medal plates when it was here. I did a few like local small ones. There's like a local Iron Chef one that we did. I think we did like four or five. I've done four or five so far. When it comes to the cowhouse menu, what's the inspiration for the food? Because it sounds like it's a melting pot of a whole bunch of different Asian cuisines with uh, you know a little bit of Canada mixed in as well. Well, cowhouse when we started that, we I wanted to have a restaurant that kind of represented us, me and my partner, me growing up as well. So you grow up in Winnipeg and, you know, you eat out at like Chinese restaurants or, you know, you come home from work and you just want to throw a quick bowl of instant noodles together. So yeah, it's, it's everything that it has like a reference point in my life at some point. Some, a lot of the dishes are things that I like to eat or like we like to eat. So, and that's how the menu was kind of birthed. Now you have a smaller menu. Was that always how you operated or was that kind of the pandemic forcing you to alter and, and change how you work things? No, uh, it's always been that way. It's actually bigger now than it used oh. to be <laughs> because, you know, you go out to an Asian restaurant and they have like a novel for, for a menu and, you know, you don't understand half of what that stuff is. So I, you know, I just, I just love the idea of like a small restaurant, small like bistro setting. You have a few items to pick from and you just do those as perfectly as you can and execute them as perfectly as you can. That's it. It's almost like Asian tapas in a way, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's something that you, you would want to eat like maybe once or twice uh, a week. You know, uh, we built a menu that now we have a lot of regulars and they come in, they have their favorites and you know, it's a, it's a smaller menu to choose from. So you don't, you know, you're not sitting there for half an hour trying to figure out what you want to eat because you know you want what you want to eat. So what are some of those favorites that the regulars are coming in for? What are your most popular menu items? So we have a ramen on the menu. So the ramen is just, you know, what I used to eat as a kid. We just make instant noodles. And uh, so we have like a, we have a pork miso ramen that's really popular. 
I think it's also due with like ramen is just popular in general right now too. We do it a little different. We do it with like a, a pulled pork, like a braised pulled pork instead of just like like pork chashu. We have fried chicken sandwich that's been pretty popular. It's fried chicken brushed with uh, spicy gochujang sauce and it's served with fish eggs too. So that was a little different. People really love that one. And then we have uh, a nam cow salad, which is like a crispy rice ball that's deep fried and then crumbled on top of lettuce with like a spicy coconut sauce. Um, and that's kind of like what I grew up eating as a kid. And talk about your calipows. You have a, a pair of steam bun, oh, I guess, right. appetizers yeah. on the menu. Yeah, that's the that's the one I forgot. Yeah, that, that one's really popular. People love that one. It's just a, such an easy and fun and interactive thing to, to eat. And it's just anything that's stuffed. People love things that are stuffed. So it's like... <laughs> You got a pork and an eggplant, one of those. Now, is that, you said it's stuffed, so it's not like, you know, how some steam buns are kind of like, almost like a taco in a way? Yeah. Stuffed into the bun? It's more like a dumpling. It's a big okay. dumpling, so it's a, it's, it's a steamed. Yeah, so it's, already, it's not like um, a bao bun is, is, a bao is like a, yeah, like a taco. It's like, an, it's like a little sandwich or whatever. Uh, this one is like a big dumpling. Now, you mentioned with your ramen, uh, you have the pulled pork instead of maybe the more traditional style that uh, I think people are accustomed to. Why did you pick the pulled pork for that? The pulled pork I picked because uh, I've been, actually, I've been on a couple barbecue competitions, and I love the idea of just, like, it's just hearty, and it looks so inviting. Yeah, we, we would, I went on a couple barbecue competitions in the States with a, uh, a chef friend of mine, and, and I just fell in love with, like, pulled pork and that kind of thing. Is the plan to maybe incorporate some barbecue stuff in the future if you decide to change the menu at all? Yeah, yeah. We haven't changed it lately just because of the pandemic, but I do like to like update the menu frequently. As I've done that, people have gotten upset if I've taken things away <laughs> or whatever, so I try not to do that. But I, yeah, I love barbecue, and if we can do it, I'll do it. Yeah, we, we smoke things in-house. We do all kinds of stuff here, too. So Now, I got to ask you about this particular menu item because I don't know if I've seen a fusion like this before. Yeah. But can you talk about the cheese and noodles that you have and how you, I guess, came to combine egg noodles as well as bocconcini and, and cheddar cheese with right. some other crazy things that's going on in there? So the cheese and noodles was something that you would, you know, I'm sure everyone has had some form of it. It's just like, it's like when I was in university, I would, you know, or like a night of drinking or whatever it was, you come, you just throw a pot of water on, make instant noodles and some kind of spice like a chili oil and I just throw cheese in it <laughs> and that's what it was birthed from so I just kind of elevated just a little bit just by putting bocconcini because I've worked at uh, Mediterranean restaurants too coming up so I just put in some bocconcini some like sharp cheddar tomatoes and there was there's been maybe three or four different incarnations of it <laughs> but this one that we have now it seems people really like I think it sounds awesome. I, I, I love it. It's a yeah. crazy combination. But I mean, cheese and noodles, you don't really have to sell me or anybody a whole lot on that one. It just, it's going to work no matter what combination. You yeah. Need. People ask about it, like, what is that? Like, you know, what is it actually? And I just say, well, it's kind of like runny mac and cheese, you know, like a nice runny mac and cheese, you know, with our uh, ramen noodles. Sign me up. Sign me up. For that. <laughs> uh, you also have a couple vegetarian options on your menu, right? Yep. I feel that, uh, like Southeast and Southeast Asian cooking is a lot of like meat and, and, and pork and, and chicken and stuff like that. But uh, I felt like the, we needed to put some, some, some vegetarian options on there because some people just don't eat meat, you know, if, if it's, I guess their religion or just their dietary concerns. So, and vegetables are good for you on top of it. Yeah. Well, after a couple cheese noodles, you probably got a 
switch it over to a cauliflower bite or two, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, people love the cauliflower bites. It's like, yeah, they go crazy over it. I've never seen such a thing besides maybe the cauliflower, the, the steam ones, but people love cauliflower bites. So what's the, like, what, what makes yours stand apart from the rest? Uh, we do our own little breading. We use panko for ours, and um, and it's also vegan, so we use, um, we use a, a mix of, like, soy milk and the dredge mix. So there's no meat product in it at all. Awesome. That's awesome. And summer and, and the last couple of weeks have been pretty tough here in Winnipeg and in Manitoba. How has Cowhouse been doing over the past, I guess, 12 months now? Have you guys been, you know, holding out okay? Yeah, we've been holding out okay, just kind of toughing it out. Our kind of business model and restaurant is, is, is pretty simple and very humble. So, like, uh, we don't have a lot of expenses. So we kind of just end because our menu size and our customers, we have a lot of regulars. So they just, and the regulars are, are very kind and loyal. And they've, they've been coming to us, you know, since day one, since day one of the pandemic. Um, we did close for a couple months in the beginning because we just, like, had no idea what was going to happen. We don't. We didn't have any kind of education on the virus, so we had no idea. But we did open up after that, and people were just happy that we were back. They were thanking us for being open. <laughs> it should have been the other way around, <laughs> but they were thanking us for being open, which is which is which is very sweet. And um, it's just tells you a lot about Winnipeg. You know, our customers are like our population here. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's there's nothing quite like Manitobans that'll go out of their way to help support the businesses that they love. I know you were a part of Fried Chicken Fest earlier this year. Do you guys at Cowhouse, do you have anything else that are in the plans for the upcoming summer or the rest of the year? No plans right now. I think, you know, there is a little glimmer of light at the end of this uh, pandemic. And we just kind of have to get ready for that because I I feel like it's going to get really busy for everyone in the industry. So we just got to get ready for the the big push and everyone's going to want to come and spend money and, you know, just be out safely, of course. But uh, we just got to get ready for that and maybe just kind of updating our menu a little bit and uh, we're doing some special products, uh, some fun projects. Uh, my sous chef is making, he's doing like a Japanese uh, pop-up concept on Saturdays. Um, uh, he's doing Japanese sandwiches. So that's kind of interesting. That's been fun. We've been doing that lately. And then, um, you know, uh, I've been kind of thinking about uh, starting, or I am in the middle of starting a, a, like a nonprofit organization to mentor and like foster involvement in Asian youths too, as well. So that that's gonna be another thing on the horizon for me. When's the plan for that to get started up? And for anybody maybe interested, how could they get involved in that? I think phase one will be. Uh, I think I will just. You know, I'm going to interview just chefs and people in the industry around the city, Asian chefs and people like that around here, uh, and just telling their story, how they got started, and you know, how is being a minority or being an Asian minority. You know, how's that influence the way you, you live your life or you cook in these kitchens and that kind of thing. So, and then, um, yeah, the sky's the limit from there. And, you know, when you when you start something like that, there's so many ideas that you can do, but it was just limited to you know, what you can do at that moment. So we're going to start small and hopefully go big. Well, best of luck with that. that that's a, it's a great initiative. And, and yeah. hopefully that turns out super well for you. Um, also want to mention, too. Uh, you said the Japanese sandwich pop-ups on Saturday. Uh, where where is that at Cowhouse or is that somewhere else? No, it's it's at Cowhouse. Okay, um, you have to pre-order it, and then we just you know there's time slots on Saturdays because we're not open. We're not open in the afternoon, uh, so he's doing it. We're just doing that uh, a pop-up between twelve and three thirty on Saturdays. And what exactly are the Japanese sandwiches that you guys are selling for those that are unaware? Uh, we do right now. We're doing. Uh, 
sandwiches made with uh, like white bread, like milk bread. So it's very fluffy. So it's their take on the the North American sandwich. There's like a we have like a uh, a fried chicken katsu sando, a beef Taiwan one called a gyu sando. Yeah, and then a tofu curry one. So people are pretty excited about that. Those are always super Instagram worthy for everybody in yeah. that generation if they want to take a couple of pictures and enjoy some good eats at the same time. Yeah. Randy, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Before we let you go. We always close out our interviews with this question here, and I'm very curious to see what your response is going to be. But with Jets Habs getting started up this week and the playoffs in full swing, what would be the cowhouse game day meal? What what would be your version of the perfect game day menu? Uh, I think our fried chicken, our fried chicken with the gochujang, it's it would be perfect. Fried chicken and fries. We do fries with uh, some QP mayo and uh, nori and green onions. So I, I think the, the gochujang fried chicken, the spicy fried chicken would be perfect for that. All right. I'm making my order. Getting it ready for game one and game two. Thanks so much, Randy, for this. Before we let you go, just let our listeners know where's the best place they can get in touch with you. Uh, we have a website, cowhouse.com. You can reach us there. Um, uh, we're all over Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we're on there. So um, you can call us at 204-615-6590 if you want to place your order. We're always in-house. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go, but thanks again for for stopping by. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. That does it for today's episode. A huge thanks again to Randy Kudaraj and the rest of the crew down there at Cowhouse. Make sure you check them out this weekend. Like Randy said, too. I mean, if you want a game day menu item to get ready for the encore on Friday night, there really is no better way than doing it with that sexy-ass gochujang fried chicken. I mean, that just sounds like the bomb. So... If you want to get if you want to get your fried chicken on, make sure you hit Cowhouse up for that. I mean, if you know me, you know what my deal is. I'm going after the cheesy noodles. This isn't even up for discussion. This is not up for debate. I'm grabbing the cheesy noodles and, and probably a cow pow too on top of it. So again, thanks to Randy and the crew. And make sure you guys check out Cowhouse sometime soon. As well as the pop-up that they got going on coming up on Saturday. But like I said, that's it for today. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Again, stay safe out there. Let's hope for something better coming into Game 2 on Friday night. We'll preview that one for you in our next episode on Tuesday. Also get into Game 3 as well. We've got another food interview coming up for you guys next week on top of all that. Venturing into a new area that we haven't gotten into yet. So super excited to speak with this mystery restaurant. You guys will have to tune in to make sure you get in touch for that one. In the meantime... Thanks again for listening to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace.